Hello everyone and welcome to episode 279 of the Fun With Cars, Formula One and other motorsports podcast or episode 13 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner and today I'm joined by the man that wants to be vaccinated with IPA, Chris Roche. Hey Chris. <laughs> Hello Robin. It is Monday morning, April 5th and Chris and I are going to talk about the upcoming racing seasons and what we might expect. So, Chris, where shall we start? Obviously with Formula One with me. So, and I guess some, some post-Bahrain analysis has been uh, coming out over the last week or so. So I think we should yes. dive into some of that. Yes, I have one that I'm excited to share. But please, you go first. Yeah, so obviously it was a thriller of a race, as we talked about before. And the pace, certainly in the race between the Mercedes and Red Bull, uh, seemed very even. Interestingly enough... Um, there was a deep dive performed by a guy called Mark Hughes in Motorsport magazine that talked about Mercedes's pace between Bahrain and the rest of the tracks and, and sort of what we can expect throughout 21. And interestingly, since 2014, Mercedes have only ever been quicker in Bahrain than they have been relative to their average over the course of a season, meaning that Typically, Mercedes perform poorly at Bahrain. And to give you some example, examples of that, in 2020, they were just over 0.6% slower in Bahrain than they were over the rest of the season uh, at all the other and, tracks. And that's relative to the competitors? No, it's relative to their own pace. So, so, they're, so how do you compare, how do you, how do you compare, their, like, six-tenths of a percent like the delta between them and the next highest performer was that much tighter? I'm, I'm trying to understand that. Yeah, exactly. Metrics. So they're looking at the Mercedes pace relative to the, their nearest competitor, which obviously uh, in 20 was Red Bull, but obviously in other seasons it would have been different teams. So for example, Ferrari in 18 or 19. Mercedes typically had a, a smaller gap relative to those uh, competitors in Bahrain than they did in other tracks. So only once, only one season since 2014, which was in 2017, when Mercedes actually quicker on average in Bahrain than they were on the other tracks relative to the uh, competition. So what that's that, fascinating. What that means is that uh, we can expect that, I, I guess, to put it in simple terms, Bahrain's a bit of a bogey track for Mercedes, that the car performs better relative to its rivals in other tracks, and therefore we should expect Mercedes' performance to be superior as we move forward into 21. That's certainly what that data is showing. But yet, conversely, Red Bull hasn't had a good track record at Bahrain either. So as we know, they're perennially slow starters to a season, certainly for the last few years. And then Bahrain um, hasn't been a particularly successful track or suited their car particularly well in, in previous seasons. So you could argue that Bahrain isn't really a track that suits either, either uh, team historically. And so... You could take all that and determine almost anything you want, but but it certainly looks like <laughs> it certainly looks like uh, you know we're going to need a few more races before we can really understand who has the advantage definitively. Well, and then there, there's the other part of that, which is something we touched on at the end of the last podcast, which was the three weeks in between Bahrain and the next race, which I believe is Imola, and that how much people how much the teams are going to be able to develop those cars in those three weeks and there's also the track record of mercedes pace of development versus red bull's pace of development 
how those things play into the performance that we see there. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, there are many, many variables in this, very few constants. The other interesting analysis was a comparison of each team's performance in Bahrain in 21 relative to their performance in 2020. So of the 10 teams, seven actually improved relative to their time from 2020 and three uh, got worse. So the three teams that actually got slower were Mercedes, Aston Martin and Haas. And the seven teams that improved were headed by none other than Alfa Romeo. And then Red Bull was, was the second most improved team, 0.7% up. Uh, Interesting. Whole times. So, yeah, Haas was, was at the bottom of the table. They got 1% worse, which is pretty worrying, especially as there's some news uh, that Mr. Stein has been saying, uh, Gunter has been saying that they, they really don't see a need to continue to develop the car. Their only target could possibly be Williams. So it looks like they're in for a really tough year. And, and I think, you know, that, that uh, was borne out by their their race pace um, and, and qualifying yes. pace in, in the round one. That's that's fascinating. And yeah, the, the Haas, Haas team is really just on an absolute rocket ship to the bottom with uh, their driver's lineup choice, their uh, lack of interest in development and everything else. So we'll see if uh, Gene Haas really has the patience for this and if Haas's long-term plan pans out that focusing on 2022 developing drivers etc cetera, etc cetera, or if it just you know spirals all the way down the toilet pole so it'll be interesting to see and then of course conversely how much can williams improve and can williams really start to flirt with the back of the mid pack as opposed to being down at the bottom you know so it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out it's uh it's an interesting start for those guys um i had one that i really wanted to touch on uh there was an interview with uh otmar safauer about uh, the bahrain grand prix and with uh sebastian vettel's performance in it and i just want to give you this quote because i just found it amazing so uh this is what otmar safauer had to say about sebastian vettel's driving okay and i'm quoting right now I had to leave the debrief early so I don't know what his feedback was, but watching from the pit wall, looking at his lap times, this is Sebastian Vettel's lap times, they weren't too dissimilar to Lance, that's Lance Stroll, who's been driving here a while and knows us well, knows the car well, and ended up finishing in a pretty darn decent position, and at times was competitive on the mediums and the soft, as was Seb, so I've got to talk with him. So, that's the quote. This is the team principal of Aston Martin trying to talk up Vettel's performance by saying he didn't do too bad compared to Lance Stroll. So the four-time world champion, not quite there when compared to the owner's son. <laughs> but but that's encouraged. Did you see what I'm getting at here? I, I, and the point of the story was, and, and this is all 100% true, Sebastian Vettel is brand new to the team. It's a new operation. He got very little testing in the car because there was only one pre-season test, and he got fewer laps than almost anyone in that test. But at the same time, to me, to see that the encouraging words from the team principal is that you're not too far off your teammate <laughs> who you should absolutely wipe the floor with. Do you see what I'm, I mean? That, to me, that was actually very troubling. Yeah, I mean, it's not, 
It's not the biggest uh, endorsement of your new driver's performance, is it? I, I think, you know, those of us who can recall Sebastian's heyday of his four consecutive world championships, so we go back to 2013, where, you know, he seemed to be possessed with an uncanny level of speed, natural speed, and was able to just take the Red Bull and just disappear from the, from the Formula One grid uh, at, at seemingly at will. It's hard to rationalize that level of performance with where he stands today, where his, exactly his right. racing ability is questioned almost every weekend, and now his innate pace seems to have disappeared. I mean, he was comprehensively blown away by Charles Leclerc last season. And, I mean, you know, Charles, I think most of us are excited about him. Uh, and thinks he, he, you know, he's a great, uh, maybe a potential champion in the waiting uh, of champion of the future, but nobody really thinks that about Lance Stroll. Um, so to be outpaced by Stroll is is a worrying uh, development, and I think uh, he's got to he's got to pull himself together. He's he's in a bit of a quagmire, isn't he? And, and I think we were all hoping that Aston Martin might sort of reinvigorate him and refresh him, and and reboot his career. But so far, it looks like more of the same Seb that we saw last year. Yeah, and it and it may yet again. You know, this this was one race this season, very little preseason testing. All of that is true. And, uh, but I, you know, they, it was a combination of things because at first, you know, early, early laps of the Bahrain Grand Prix, uh, Vettel started dead last. And, you know, after lap two or three, it was something like 14th position. I was like, oh, okay, he's, he's moving through the field. But then he kind of got bogged down. Then he had that, uh, accident with, uh, Esteban Ocon that you and I both agree was 100% Sebastian Vettel's fault. And I was like, oh, dear, this is the Seb that worried Ferrari. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to see him reappear at Aston Martin. I want to see the old Sebastian Vettel because that would mean better racing for us and uh, deeper field, more competition, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is a man that's won more than 50 Grand Prix. You, you want to see more out of him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, as you said, the, the racing between him and Alonso was a lot of fun and he seemed to be you know he seemed to be making headway through the race uh, it certainly wasn't like his pace was lamentable during the race but but you know the shunt with um Esteban brought back terrible memories right and of many Absolutely. especially as he immediately blamed Ocon um when it was clearly his his fault which he he subsequently admitted to so yeah i mean i think we have to we do have to give him a few races don't we but it wasn't it wasn't uh, the most auspicious of starts and, uh, you know, the fact that Aston Martin seems to have, I, I mean, you wonder if it's a motivational thing, you know, Racing Point had such a great year last year, he must have been licking his lips at the prospect of getting back into a race winning car. And now they find themselves, you know, one of the most penalized teams with the rule changes, the car's not working very well. And, and you know, now he's, he's found himself at the, you know, almost sort of mid pack or back of the field type type territory. And he maybe his motivations going to be uh, an issue so I mean we have to we have to wait and find out don't we I didn't actually look at the fastest lap times between him and Lance I'm trying to pull him up now uh, to see how far off he was from Lance's uh, uh, fastest lap so Stroll set the ninth quickest time with a 134.8 and Vettel set the 16th fastest time with a 135.5 it's not great is it I mean no Vettel was on lap 26 Strolls was on lap 31 so I mean Stroll had 
you know, maybe maybe a fresher set of tyres um, and less fuel on board, of course, which would have helped, but that's still not ideal. Yeah, no, not even close. So we've got the next race coming up uh, middle of April, and uh, then after that it's the end of April, you know, a little bit more of the cycle we're used to, one weekend off, one weekend back on. We go to Italy, and then we go to Portugal, and then we go to Spain. Which one excites you the most? Well, so Imola is the next race, as you mentioned. Uh, I, I had a quick look at the 2020 grid times, and Mercedes locked out the front row, and uh, Botas was on pole for that race, and was about half a second up on Max Verstappen's uh, time. So Mercedes had a half a second advantage in 2020. So the question is, will will that have been completely eliminated, or and will Max be able to take pole position? Because I think we all know that Imola doesn't really isn't very conducive to passing i mean it didn't offer a lot of good racing last last year it's quite a narrow track that's right uh, the drs zones are quite limited so whoever has pole would have a, a really big chance of converting that to a win um so i don't know whether that half a second is going to be enough for mercedes to hang on this year or not um but uh certainly max will be trying to get pole position one of the things max was saying after the race in Bahrain was that he felt that their strategy um relinquished track position to mercedes and he was a little frustrated by that and mm-hmm. would have preferred mm-hmm. to, to come in and pit to try and retain the lead, even if that put him into a slightly um, you know, slower overall tyre strategy. Um, I guess the point was is that Hamilton's uh, in and out lap was so, so quick and, and the margin uh, between them was so small when, when Hamilton pitted that it was doubtful whether even if Red Bull had brought him in on the following lap, he would have retained the lead. But that certainly mm-hmm. seemed to be Max's... Um, one of his frustrations at losing out on the race win was that, you know, he, he questioned the strategy. Um, so, you know, that's going to be key, you know, getting pole and having the right strategy in Imola is going to be key because I don't think we'll see much on track passing, certainly compared to what we saw in Bahrain. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, I think we all enjoyed Portimao last year. That was a good race. So of those three, I think Portimao is the one I'm going to be most excited about. It's a, it's a lovely track. 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. Imola and Spain are probably a bit more processional, although, as I mentioned in a prior podcast, they have reprofiled one of the corners in in Barcelona to maybe uh, hopefully make the track a little bit more conducive to to, uh, and more flowing and conducive to following the car in front, maybe with uh, better passing opportunities there. But we'll have to wait and see. I believe it was turn six. It it was somewhere in there to to make it a, a little bit more flowing, and I think it was a the intention was to set up. To make it easier to pass in that uh, middle section of the track, so hopefully that is the case. I am still, you know, I think that the amazing race we saw in Bahrain, in many ways, actually brought up one of Formula One's most inherent weaknesses, which is how much the wake of one car disrupts the car following it, and how Max Verstappen said that. After the one attempted pass, I mean, successful pass, but out of off-track limits that he made, that he'd, he'd used up too much of his tires and he couldn't be in Hamilton's wake and keep up at the same time. I, I really, that's something that makes me want for the next car to really, really improve on that. And I, I hope that they're making the right strategies to do that because I think that we've got this really bizarre circumstance where so much more of a formula one race is becoming like endurance racing where you're managing the car you're not 
lapping the car as quickly as you can, but you're managing the car so that you can use it to its fullest potential in key critical areas. And the irony is, is that endurance racing is becoming more and more like sprint racing, where they're going full at it more and more often. So uh, I, I really feel like we're starting to live in this backwards world where, you know, the 12 hours of Sebring, it was it was a, just a really long, it was a really long sprint race. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Formula One, we're still in this position where, you know, we have eight, nine second per lap deltas between beginning of the race full of fuel and uh, towards the end of the race with fresh tires. And and that's that's frustrating for me to see. And I'm curious if um, you have any opinions on you think we're going – well, first of all, do you agree with me? Do you think we're going in the right direction? Do you think the technical regulations for the next car are going to noticeably improve that? Where, where's your mind at? I think your assessment's a little bit glass half empty, if you don't mind me saying. It's uh, not as bad as the way you described it. I think – I have a lot – I actually have a lot less than a half glass of tea <laughs> right now. I'll have to I, – I think, you know, what we saw in, in – uh, in Bahrain was that on this latest compound of Pirelli tyre um, the drivers are still managing the tyre to some extent but they are still able to or they are able to push uh, you know and and I think you know if you go if you project to next year I mean I certainly agree with you to a certain degree that the, the they're not able to race as hard as maybe we'd like throughout the whole Grand Prix. That some management is required, but I think next year, you know, we got we got we're going to to the bigger wheels. We'll have less uh, sidewall on the tire. Um, we'll have quite different cars aerodynamically. I think next year is going to be a whole. I, I don't think we can we can project into what next season is going to be like from this year's cars. I think um, we should see quite a big shakeup in both team and and overall race. A performance so I think we should just focus on this year and I think you know that the signs are promising that the that we should be able to see you know decent racing and we're not going to see these really slow processional type races where everyone's just having to really limit their performance based on the tire well I certainly I certainly hope the same and uh, you know I have respect for Ross Braun I know that his uh, mind is in the right place in terms of improving the competition so I guess as much as anything, it is perhaps me losing a little bit of patience uh, because I'm historically and uh, famously impatient. And when I say famous, I mean within the confines of my house, I am famous for being impatient. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, I mean, I think we all agree that Bahrain was a pretty good race. So if we get another 22 of those, won't you be happy? Yes. I, I, what I'm getting at is, it was a fantastic race. I absolutely loved it. But I think that that showed a key weakness and something we can work on to improve. It shouldn't be the case that after Max Verstappen has one go at Hamilton, he's run out of tire. That doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. Do you know what I mean? Well, and, uh, I mean, it so was... He, not only did he run out of tire, but only for that, you know, one lap he had left to try and, you know have another crack at it i mean if he'd had if, they, well, he if had there's still laps. been another 10 laps, laps. It, yeah okay two laps but you know essentially the last lap you 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 don't really have the same drs benefit do you have fewer drs opportunities two laps that, is twice as much time as one lap he had double the amount of time you're suggesting <laughs> chris 
Um, I, I think I think you know if he'd had ten laps to go, we would have seen another another opportunity uh, for Max, right? But it yeah. was such a short period of time. He, 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 he you know it wasn't enough for him. So speaking of endurance racing, I do want to let everyone know that the 24 Hours of Le Mans is not coming until August. It is going to be uh, the weekend of August 21st and 22nd. And um, I am going to be putting in a darn decent amount of coverage into that. Just so you know, so there will be a couple, if not a few, podcasts focusing on the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Um, but we do have a bit of a break from endurance racing because uh, even the next IMSA race is not until the middle of May. But it is at Mid-Ohio, which is a really great uh, racetrack here in the Midwest and uh, usually puts on good racing. We'll be looking forward to what that provides. Um, also, speaking of different racing series, uh, the next IndyCar race, the first IndyCar race of the season is actually the same weekend as the next Formula One race, um, and it is in uh, Florida. So, oh no, I'm sorry. It is in Alabama uh, in the middle of April, April 18th. So there's going to be no racing for uh, a couple of weekends, but April 18th is going to be a very busy race weekend, and I'm certainly looking forward to see if Scott Dixon can get that coveted seventh championship that seems to be the big number of championships for the all-time greats so um until you know we'll see how lewis does this year but um but uh yeah so i'm just wanted to let everyone know that uh as any car gets rolling we're going to cover that some um we're definitely going to keep up with imsa i'm going to go big on 24 hours of lamar and uh uh yeah there's a lot of Formula One news and things to cover yet as, as well, of course. And um, to that end, um, I'm thinking, I don't know for certain, but I'm thinking that the next podcast will be a podcast that gets us ready for the IndyCar season. There is kind of a impromptu little coming podcast announcement there. So interestingly enough, while you talk about sports car racing and IndyCar racing, uh, I was reading about Lola, who um, is quite a storied manufacturer of race car chassis um, that is now fully up for sale. If you have a couple of bucks hidden down the back of the couch, you, you could make a, a bid to own uh, the Lola manufacturing facility, wind tunnel, and uh, all the drawings of, the, of their chassis that they, they've uh, designed and engineered all the way back, I think, to the 1950s. So, wow. Yeah, so Lola is quite a sad story, really. I mean, if, if those of us who, who are familiar with them, I mean, they had a lot of success in IndyCar back in the 2000s yeah. um, and the late yes. 90s. Um, pretty big in, in at Le Mans and, and in the sports, sports well, car world back, back in the 60s In the late and 70s. 90s, it was Lola versus Renard That's right. in IndyCar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, they, fought, they fell on hard times, and I think they basically stopped operating back in uh, 2011 when Martin Baran, who was the owner at that time, decided to stop putting money into the team. And, uh, they're, but they're now trying to sell it as, as a, a full-going concern so someone to pick it up and, and try and relaunch it. I mean, the, the struggle for Lola has been like Delara basically has dominated pretty much every series below Formula One. I mean, it doesn't matter what, what series you talk about, whether it's IndyCar or GP2, um, they all seem to have a spec chassis, and it's all produced by Delara. So the likes of Lola and Reynard, um, just for whatever reason, weren't able to compete um, with Delara, who've been phenomenally successful for the last uh, 10, 20 years. 
Um, but well, be what, good. what's going on with that? Because that's not it's, it's not the same, but it's not too dissimilar to uh, Cosworth. Obviously, they're an engine builder, not chassis. But you know, and Cosworth is still up and running. But what happened to all these British racing outfits that have fallen on hard times? Yeah, I, 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 it's, a, it's a great question. We should dig into it and try and find some answers because I don't. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me that you can be eliminated from so many series by by one competitor. I mean, it's it, you know, I mean, of course, uh, there's a lot of commonality between the chassis that are being developed, but from everything from Formula Three uh, and up, Dolores somehow seems to be able to provide a spec chassis that is superior than than certainly Reynard and Lola were able to deliver. And I'm not, I don't I don't really understand that because they all were using you know similar processes similar technologies you know carbon fiber based chassis and they all had access to wind tunnels and they knew how to design the, the, the chassis to be competitive and yet somehow Delara were able to just completely blow them out of the water so uh, it's a good question yeah and maybe maybe that is part of it as more and more series went to a spec chassis that Delara had a formula that was more friendly to sanctioning bodies than the others. And uh, it was a bit of a domino effect because I remember the big push, and this is more than 10 years ago now, uh, where IndyCar was looking for its chassis, where it was becoming a spec chassis. And a lot of things were being looked at. That's when the Delta Wing first appeared as an entry for an IndyCar spec. Mm-hmm. And and then it was the Delara that won out there. And it's fascinating to see that you're, you're absolutely right, that Delara just had kind of cropped up and seems to be most everywhere now. And uh, all these other storied brands are, are really struggling. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a shame to see, uh, to see them dormant. And it'd be great if someone could come in and, and put some money in and maybe uh, revive what is a you know, pretty amazing uh, company in its own right. This is what I want. I want uh, Arizona <laughs> Ice Tea to come in and buy... Lola, and let's start getting some iced tea to England and have the English understand that tea is good cold as well and uh, really open some open some minds there. Mm. And that will be just a coming renaissance for uh, the English and indeed uh, all of the UK. Okay, good luck with that strategy. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start looking around my couch for those couple of bucks you were talking about. And um, and you you do it as well. And whoever whoever has the majority stake between the two of us can we'll claim the temperature cold. of the tea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. But for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. And also, please, please, please go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash c slash Robin Warner. Or just look up Robin Warner on YouTube and my grizzled face will show up. Watch all the videos. They're all amazing. Anyway, Chris, thank you for the chat. It's always fun to talk with you. Appreciate you joining. Yeah, thank you, Rob. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.